Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think of your goals. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? If you want to learn a new language, you absolutely should get Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. I absolutely love Babbel because their courses help me learn real-life conversational skills. It's so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, speak to the locals without having to consult language apps. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time offer for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners, at babbel.com SPP. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here. Thanks for joining us. You, wow, I'm not kidding. I just finished this interview and I went straight into the intro because there were thoughts I didn't want to lose. I don't always do that. Sometimes I record the intro just before the episode airs. It's not saying anything. It's just life and busyness, but I had to get this out. Okay, so first of all, who are we interviewing today? Let's start there. Our guest today is a man named Seth Stevens Davidowitz. Yes, there's a hyphenation there. It's a long last name. And because we get a little personal about Seth's background and how he got to where he is, I want to make sure you know who he is. So Seth, first of all, he's a data scientist. He's used data from the internet, particularly Google, to now get new insights into the human psyche, which shows up in his brand new book, Everybody Lies. Big data, new data, and what the internet can tell us about who we really are. Seth, in his past, he worked for Google as a data scientist and is currently a contributing op-ed writer for the New York Times. He's designing and teaching a course about his research at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, where he is a visiting lecturer. He also received his undergrad in philosophy from Stanford and has a PhD in economics from Harvard. Obviously a smart guy, and his book is incredible. So the idea of this book is essentially Seth analyzes data 
through Google, basically Google Trends and Google AdWords. Some of you might be familiar with those, but he answers some questions or he uncovers some biases. So let me give you an example. And this is a little bit of a teaser because we do discuss this at the end of the interview. Imagine you have a son and a daughter and you're in Google and you, you type in, is my son, and then go ahead and you fill in the blank. So is my son blank? So of course, this search happens all over the world, right? There's is my son, and then some kind of question. In the same fashion, you have a daughter and you type, is my daughter blank? It's quite surprising the difference in what that blank is purely based on the fact that it's either you're searching about a son or a daughter. And I think what's uncovered there and what Seth mentions really shows us how, although as parents we like to think we treat our children, regardless of their sex, as exact equals, we don't. Or at least deep down, we don't think of it. You be the judge, it's at the end of the interview. But that's some of the things that can be uncovered through the power of data science and Google. And the title of the book, Everybody Lies, is because... Oftentimes, Google is the, the truth serum. What we're really feeling, what we're really curious about or anxious about or wondering, we'll put into that little white box in Google as opposed to talk to everyone else about it. If you don't believe me, how many times have you deleted your Google searches because you were embarrassed by them or worried about them, right? So that's the crux of this interview. But here's a few things I really wanted to talk about. First, we spend the first 10 to 15 minutes talking about Seth's background, how he got to where he is how he became a data scientist. And then that conversation travels into one about the 40-hour work week, 50-hour work week, how scared of that he is. And we all know that I'm terrified of that as well. We talk a little bit about what the data says. And so it's this is a journey. If, if you're looking for a clear-cut interview, not happening. Another thing we do in this episode that I've never done before, I pull up a web browser and briefly, Seth talks us through how you would utilize Google Trends to find more information about a topic. Specifically, if you are looking to advertise or market or sell something, how Google Trends can start you on the right path. So if you're not at a computer, I've edited it so it's a little shorter and quicker, but it just gives you an idea of how it can be used. And also, if you are at a computer, maybe it's fun to follow along. Lastly, I want to say that because of this topic, because of what is incorporated in our Google searches, we do touch on a few things that aren't politically correct. One of the topics actually made me a little bit nauseous, not because it's such a shock factor, it's real life, but it's something that we don't really talk about, something honestly I've never really thought about. And then Seth talked about what the data says about this topic. So if you're a little squeamish, or perhaps if you have really little kids around, I wouldn't play this episode. There's not swear words, but it's just, again, what goes into Google, we don't say to our closest confidant. So you can imagine perhaps some of the topics. And those are the topics covered in his book, Everybody Lies. If you have strong thoughts on this interview, if there are parts of it you liked, Parts of it you don't, the structure, the style, I'd love to hear about it. Your emails sometimes help shape the show, oftentimes give us the energy and confidence to, to keep going. 
And if anything, help me continue the journey of connecting through a microphone across the world. So please email us your thoughts. We are at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. So just smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. You're in for a treat. This is not the standard show, but hopefully you'll enjoy this episode with Seth Stevens Davidowitz on his new book, Everybody Lies, Big Data, New Data, and What the Internet Can Tell Us About Who We Really Are. Well, Seth, first, I want to say thank you so much for taking time out and being on the show. Thanks so much for having me. So we're talking about a lot of things today. You have a pretty new book out. By the way, when did it come out? Uh, Two days ago. Yeah, that's what I thought, like just now. The book is called Everybody Lies, Big Data, New Data, and What the Internet Can Tell Us About Who We Really Are. And I got to ask you, so I noticed that the foreword is by Steven Pinker. And the cover is a very like Steven Pinker book kind of cover. Was that... Is that purposeful? Are all these things kind of in the same genre? Like, well, how'd that work? Uh, that that's like that whole process is beyond me. They they just like sent the cover, the the title, the cover, all that uh, wasn't chosen by me. I'm that's fine with them, but it wasn't. Uh, the publishers, I guess, do that, and they uh, they they seem to have all these standard things like uh, animals are a big theme, mm. uh, or fruits, I guess, or like balloons. There, mm. there are just a few objects that seem to uh, all uh, appear over and over again in covers. So I have uh, animals, zebras, and elephants. Yeah, that's so funny. And something I'm aware of and kind of joke with some of the authors like, hey, here's what I think about your title, even though I know you didn't pick it. Um, <laughs> yeah. The cover, though, is pretty good. But I'll tell you, the subtitle, I mean, I, we've been doing this for about seven years, and subtitles just keep getting longer and longer and longer. Soon, the entire cover is just going to be words. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it just got tra- it just got bought. My book just got bought in, in uh, the UK, and they uh, cut this subtitle. <laughs> they made it much shorter. Anyway, so on to the real stuff. So, Seth, you are a, I guess, data scientist by trade, right? Well, I, I got my PhD in economics, but uh, yeah, I, I think I consider myself more a data scientist than an economist. And then I know now, I mean, you, would you consider your primary job writing? Yeah, for the last uh, two years, it's been all pretty much all writing. I, I taught a class too, uh, and but almost exclusively writing. Let's hear about this background, all right? And, and this is what fascinates me, to think about where you are. You wrote this book, which is amazing. We're going to get into that. Uh, you've, you've taught a little bit, PhD, all of that, data scientist. When you were, say, eight, did you have some fascination with numbers or, you know, supply and demand or things like that? Like, bring us back to there first. <laughs> no, eight, I had a fascination. I talk about this a little in my book. Eight, I have a fascination with uh, basketball and baseball and all sports and being a professional athlete. Yeah. That was basically uh, all I wanted. I was not like a... Uh, I always think that I'm like a jock stuck in a nerd's body uh, and a nerd's <laughs> mind. So uh, I, I uh, yeah, I don't, I, I, I that, that, that's really all I, uh, all, all I wanted to do in life, and was, was uh, like, uh, it was just my obsession. I spent hours shooting basketballs and uh, throwing like baseballs against uh, little nets where they came back and trying to get better at pitching. Uh, yeah, so nothing, nothing to do with uh, statistics or numbers or economics or anything. 
So I love this topic. When did it transfer or when did it make that shift? So I'm kind of convinced that actually this is a little weird. I was very good at it. I was I was obsessed with sports, but terrible at sports. Mm. Not terrible, but I wasn't great. Like I, I was, you know, I, I was reasonably coordinated, but I was kind of kind of short and really slow. So I was never great. And I, uh, but I was obsessed. I knew more about sports than anybody. I think like, uh, just about anybody I, I knew uh, my age. Like I, I'd listened to sports radio, uh, all like evening, uh, like when, like no kid that I knew did that. I was, uh, I was totally obsessed, but, uh, there's this frustration cause I knew more than everybody else, but these people would show up like these people, like they were six, five hmm. and like 200 pounds. And they knew nothing about sports. They didn't listen to sports radio. They didn't uh, have a favorite team, and they just like dominate me and like become the heroes of high school. And and it was it was just so frustrating. And I'm, I'm like really competitive, and I just found it so annoying uh, that I knew I knew more than anybody else, and was more obsessed than anyone else, and was outshined by these people who knew nothing. So I kind of think my career in economics started as kind of this revenge in a weird way where there are all these like people who are obsessed with economics and supply and demand curves since they were kids. But I, I think I was better than most of them just naturally. Hmm. So I could kind of do the opposite of what the athletes did to me. You know, they say like your true personality is kind of set in your childhood and the things you did then and the things you thought about and the things you were good at are what you should kind of seek out. And so it sounds like underneath that surface, you actually are true to that core i mean it sounds like the thing you were good at you do that's mostly true but this book is not really economics uh uh in any sort of uh conventional economics book right but Uh, i think i I transferred a little bit that i did find standard economics kind of boring uh and i was struggling with it a lot in grad school that i just kind of would get really bored and like couldn't really do the problem sets had a hard time attending Uh, the classes. But I was kind of really interested. I think the other part of me that maybe is a little that 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 I also had an interest in was kind of just like the weirdness in society. So like when I was young, I was obsessed with the Howard Stern show. And just like listening, I listened to a show like, I watched his show on E every night. And like, uh, it was like, just like all the weird topics he was talking about, like porn stars and sex and uh, you know, race and all these topics that I felt like were really important, but I just were like ignored in society. Hmm. And I think uh, so I kind of did move the training I had more in that direction. If you are interested in sports, listening to sports, all those things, you're probably collecting data, right? I mean, were you that guy that knew the stats of people too? Yeah, I like, yeah, but not as much. It, I I really don't don't think I was it's everyone calls me like this huge nerd and this huge geek. But like, I think I was just a jock. Like I played sports more than like I most of my like, I guess, listening to sports radio. But that's not that statistics based. It's just like men arguing with each other. (laughs) Uh, So it wasn't that uh, stats based when I when I was young. It was more just uh, like wanting to be an athlete really badly and just finding the physical like challenge and the competitiveness really exciting. One of the things I find in a lot of athletes is the thing they enjoy most is the flow of it, the getting lost in the sport. Do you still find that flow state or manufacture that in the work you do today, whether it be writing or the research that you really 
feel like is the spot you want to be in? I try to. It's tough though. It happens less than I. But I, it's I, like it. It's it's happened, and it's it's the best feeling in the world when you like are working on something. You're doing work, so it's after you're actually producing something, and you have this feeling of flow. It's the best feeling in the world, but it doesn't happen. I'm trying to figure out how I can get that to happen more because yeah. a, a lot of the stuff is struggle, and I procrastinate a lot, and uh, you know, so it's not. It's like this book was a. Uh, I, I was really struggling on it for a while, and I had to actually uh, go to uh, my parents have a country house and I went to that with my dad and he kind of just had to literally sit me down and like force me to write because mm. I was procrastinating so much at one point. And I want to get into that because there's this myth, you know, you're able to produce this beautiful quality book. Um, you're interviewed all over the place. You've got a, a great publisher and all of this um, that it just kind of that you're just different, right? That, that, um, to do this is on such another level. And especially because look, let's be honest, you have a PhD, you've, uh, done a lot of writing in the past, all these things, but it's still a struggle for you. What is oh, this? What is the struggle like? Uh, yeah. So the, the struggle is that, uh, yeah, just, uh, but I think that's common. Most people I know, I think it's a myth that there, there are some people I met who really like work comes easily. And like, are, but I, even them, I think it took them a while and they just became addicted to it over time. And maybe that does happen kind of like exercise. If you do it long enough, eventually you do become addicted to it. But for the, the a long period, I think it's just a struggle hmm. uh, more than most people say or admit, because I think people like to say that they love their work. But That's I think, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. Working is hard. <laughs> I mean, my natural instinct is to just like, uh, you know, listen to like music or go for walks or hang out with friends or watch TV or go on dating sites or like go on Facebook. I think that's pretty much true for everybody. It is. Seth, this is why I'm having this conversation. And maybe look, I don't care if you're like Tony Robbins or not. It's just nice. These are the types of things that people put into Google and don't talk about in the world. That's <laughs> why. I, yeah, that, that is a good lean into the, to the book because, uh, I think, uh, you know, I, I, th I think that is one of the things I've always been interested in because uh, the things that people say don't line up with my own personal experience. Uh, so when everyone says they love their job, uh, you know, I worked at Google for like uh, a year and a half. I found it a struggle like working and like this is like the best job ever, right? Like it's a dream. And like I know that fortunately, like I can look at it objectively and say, uh, you know, this is like an amazing campus. There are all these smart people. There is free food and massages and like and, and stuff. But like to like hear your alarm clock and just like go to an office and sit there and like stare at a computer and send emails and like, uh, you know, go and do coding. I, it just is, like is a huge struggle for me. So then I, 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 I do did kind of I do kind of suspect I'm like, it can't be true that people love their job nearly as much as they claim. And I think this book is about how basically uh, everybody lies about everything, and which is uh, kind of interesting to me and, and confirms uh, some of the stuff I thought. Yes, but don't think you're getting off the hook that easy. We are not jumping straight in your book here because this topic <laughs> fascinates me. And it was why the podcast was started, this idea of work and all that. So 
have you discovered through either your own, you know, experiences or through the internet, through data, the answer to that idea of work, like how people just do it. The, the, the thing you described about going to work, sitting down, alarm clock every day, all of that, things that people struggle with all over the world. It's a topic I'm fascinated about. What's the answer? Why do we do it? Or how do, have you said, okay, I'm just going to do it and not lose hope? Uh, what do people Google about this? I mean, it's a broad question. I just want to throw it to you and see what you have. Yeah, I, I, I do want to do a, like a column on that or some down the road, but uh, I, I have looked a little bit in it. You definitely do see people Googling, I hate my job, I hate my boss, what's wrong with me? Like, I hate, I hate adult life, that's a big one. Uh, I think the I think when people start like going to a job nine to five, a decent percentage of people are just like <laughs> overwhelmed. You do see that in the internet data. Uh, the percentage of people that are, that are just like, what, what the hell is going on here? Yeah. Uh, like this, this isn't what I uh, signed up, signed up for, especially cause it comes after college, which for a lot of people is like, you know, kind of fun. You, uh, you, you don't have to go to all your classes necessarily. You can kind of do it at your own pace and party a lot and play video games. Uh, so I think, uh, people are pretty, uh, uh, sh shocked by, uh, the nine to five the nine to five grind by itself is pretty bad. And then like the, but then most people in nine to five is easy now, right? Like most right. people are doing nine to eight or nine to nine. Yeah. Well, even let's, let's kind of, I don't want everyone to get too depressed, but call it a nine to seven, but then 45 minute commutes each way. And yeah. then if you throw in, I have a two year old life just got bonkers. Like I don't understand how people survive this and okay, so people are searching for this. And what's really funny is I'm more, I'm actually considering a master's degree in kind of the industrial organizational psychology, this idea of work. And, and the other day I was Googling some things and looking, going, I love going on forums. And I found this forum, might've even been Cora, where the question was, you know, or the, the statement was, I can't do 40 hours a week. And just yeah. reading through that, right? And now I'm realizing this is the data that's getting aggregated. So yeah, exactly. Um, exactly. That, that's exactly how I felt. And I, I felt that like there was something totally wrong with me. Like every time, 40 hours a week, like I just don't even understand. I don't get the 70 or 80 hours a week because when I start trying 40 hours a week, I'm just like, this is impossible. Right. I don't get how people do it. Right. So wait, two things. First of all, have you found the answer? Like, what do you do now? And do you feel like, wow, I finally made it. I got out of that and I'm stable and confident in what I'm doing. Well, so I, I so, so I signed this co this book contract, uh, which was pretty big and allowed me to just write the book for a few years with a good salary. And then like, uh, and then I'm trying to, yeah, so like my dream for me, like what I can be like, wow, this would be an amazing adult life is I would write books, teach classes and like go around giving speeches mm -hmm. uh, to like business conferences or whatever that I find that's like not that I'm like, oh, that's, that's fun. Uh, like kind of my own hours, not like I can sleep late when I need to sleep late. Not sure if I want to have kids. So I'm like, yeah, that, 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 so I'm kind of like, but I don't, it kind of depends on how, how well this book does. Right. If right. the book doesn't do, do well, I'll probably be back to uh, nine to five or maybe nine to nine. And if I have kids, I'll definitely be at like nine to nine. 
So does so. that, does that just, how's that thought feel? If you're like, I mean, think, and this is such a really relevant topic. We have a lot of creatives, a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs. And so you've essentially built your business, let's call it that, in this book. This is your product. Yeah. And yeah. how, you know, I know myself, I'm a sometimes anxious person. I'd put it into the world and I'd be like, if this doesn't succeed, you're telling me I have to go back to that, that thing I really don't want to do. And the stress would be almost unbearable not to put that on you but so how does it actually feel i no, i i think i'll i think i can i think i can avoid it i'm i'm getting more confident that i can avoid it because i feel like this book is kind of it's already doing pretty well mm -hmm. and like my publisher is excited about another one and like i have a speaker i'm on this like i have a speaker i'm, I'm with a speaker's bureau mm -hmm. and i'm teaching a, I, I taught a class that went i think pretty well in, in, in business school so i'm kind of feeling like and I'm writing these columns and starting to get like traction on that. So I'm kind of feeling like, uh, it's going to work out. My therapist actually, it is true. The anxiety is like overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Like for the last year, I've just been getting so depressed about the thought of a nine to five job, like, or a nine to eight job yeah. and getting really, really anxious about it. And my therapist finally just said, uh, Seth, like, you're not going to have, just stop thinking about it. You're not going to have that. Like, you're not going to do that. It's just not you. Wow. So, uh, I, so I'm trying to just embrace that philosophy. Seth, we got to talk more, man. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is, it's, I feel I, I, like. I think, I think it's, I think I, it, this is kind of, it is kind of fun to talk about. I, I had no idea this interview was going to go, go Me either. Uh, because it's, it's something I think about so much. And I'm sure a lot of people do. Well, I know a lot of people do because of the data. Uh, exactly. It's just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely a big uh, theme of my adult existence the horror of a normal job. Yeah, me too. And I mean, people know, like mine actually drove me into having panic attacks. The, the, exactly really? what you talked about. Yeah, yeah. Like going from college to a nine to seven. And by the way, just like when you said you went to Google, it was an awesome job. My bosses were fantastic. The money was great. All this stuff. It wasn't yep. that. It was just a, a shock. And, you know, you could say you poor, sad millennial. And that was something I had to get over and just said like, Okay, look, it, it that's just how I felt, right? And and then navigate my own way to a, a point now, which is much different. I kind of speak and teach for a living and do it sort of on my own time. And so, um, but I'm still fascinated by it. So I, I love this. And it is a good a good segue kind of into your book. This idea, everybody lies is the title. And essentially you have gone through Google data, and we'll talk about that. Uh, to determine what people are Googling versus what we say to everyone else and what we even say to ourselves, And kind of what we were just explaining, I've never understood that. I'm, I'm an open book. It's one of the things. So it is depressing that Google is the place where we can be our most true selves. Why is that? What have you found or what have you thought about the fact that our most our best confidant is a white blank screen. It's interesting. But, but, well, what, so I'm a, I'm kind of an open book. To, I consider myself an open book too. Like I already talked about therapists. You talk about panic attacks. Yeah. Like a lot of people wouldn't uh, talk about those things. Good point. But I think if I'm going to be really honest, there are like things that I probably, you know, I'm really honest on certain topics. Yeah. <laughs> but there are probably things that I like just have Googled some r random thought I had that I probably wouldn't admit. And you're probably, I would guess that you're the same way. hundred percent. hundred percent. I'm not going to lie about, about it. it. Yep. Uh, that I don't think anybody 
you know, we, we have like an open, like, I agree that you're an open book. You're, you're like different than most people, but I think everybody has, uh, uh, parts of themselves that they don't, mm -hmm. uh, that they, they don't talk about. But, uh, I think it is it, but, but yeah, like there are, there are, but, but it is interesting that I think, uh, yeah, for what I, that, that, that everybody, I think, uh, tries to put on some sort of front, uh, much of their, uh, you know, it, through, through much of their engagements with the world. And for whatever reason, they feel really comfortable uh, typing things into Google. So there are, I think, two reasons for this. One is you have an incentive to tell the truth, right? So I talk about like closet gay men uh, mm -hmm. in certain states uh, where it's hard to be gay. And if you're gay, uh, you don't have an incentive to necessarily uh, broadcast this to your friends who may shun you or your family members who may shun you. You don't have an incentive to tell a survey. You know, you don't necessarily have an incentive not to tell a survey, but you just lean in the direction of not telling. Uh, but you do have an incentive to search for gay porn, right? Because mm. that's what you enjoy watching. Uh, so that's a big part of why people are honest on Google, the incentives it gives. Uh, the second reason uh, people uh, type uh, this is one of the, the most bizarre things in Google that I definitely was not expecting at all, uh, that people type sort of these little confessionals. Uh, you type something like, I'm sad, or I hate my boss, or I'm drunk, or, uh, you know, uh, I, I regret having children. I talk about that in the book. Wow. And I think there's... Uh, uh, you know, so uh, so I'm kind of like, what the heck's going on here? But now I'm thinking about it. If you think about the tradition of the confessional in Catholicism, the idea that people just like saying things that they they might be uh, embarrassed about or feel like is wrong, uh, it does seem like maybe this is just the modern day confessional. Mm. Uh, I think even therapy has a little bit of that element to it, where frequently therapy is not the therapist doesn't do that much talking. Usually people just like talking. And, you know, I think because society, because so much of our lives, uh, we're just lying, uh, in one way or another, uh, there is some, there is something really freeing about having someone, or in this, in this case, in the modern era, it seems some, uh, white box, uh, to type what, 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 what's really on our minds. Well, and let me let me talk about it this way, because I have a feeling it goes deeper than that. And you have some thoughts on it. So my first my first kind of, I don't know, thought is I don't know if it's that people just want to get it out into the world, but that they want to make a connection and feel not alone. Right. And so it's the safest way to do that. Hands down. I think that's a big that's a big thing, too. So, like, I just. Last night I had a book party and like I said all these stupid things at the book party. Like I, it went pretty well. It was fine. But I I think, you know, just like there are like five things afterwards that I just regretted I said because, you know, my friends are there. and I'm like, why did I say that? Wait, wait, wait. Like, that was so right, stupid. Right. Like, what get, were you let's thinking? Get, let's go here. Like, hold on. Hold and then on. I was just like getting really, really depressed and really, really anxious. And like, you know, like, well, you're such an idiot. Like, why did you say those things? And I, I think I Googled something like, you know regret like saying stupid things at parties and, and going to these forums that you talk about where people just say like the stupid oh my god I said the stupidest things in parties and you're like oh yeah that like you're not the first one in human history who mm -hmm. went to a cocktail party and, and said some stupid things 
like that happens to a lot of people. So I think that, that you're right. That is a part of it. And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. If you've ever found yourself daydreaming during the workday or spending countless hours on small tasks, try NutroBoost. NutroBoost is a top-rated supplement made from nootropics, cognitive-enhancing compounds that, when stacked in the right combination, give some of the Silicon Valley's best coders and business people their extra edge. They are 100% safe and, in this case, made from natural and potent cognitive enhancers that will significantly improve your focus, concentration, and memory. So for all you hustlers, strivers, and thrivers, anyone looking to get the most out of their lives, count on NutroBoost to increase your productivity and give you the competitive edge needed to conquer any challenge. That way, you can have more time in the day to enjoy the important things in life. All right, for a limited time, NutroBoost is offering a free 30-day supply. That's a $60 value, and all you'll have to pay is less than $5 for shipping. Head over to trynutroboost.com smart. That's T-R-Y-N-O-O-T-R-O-B-O-O-S-T dot com slash S-M-A-R-T to claim your free trial now while supplies last and before this offer expires. Again, that's trynutroboost.com slash smart. One more time for you, T-R-Y-N-O-O-T-R-O-B-O-O-S-T dot com slash smart. And now back to the episode. Yeah. And well, let's go to that for a second. So first of all, you had a party last night. It's nine. We get, we had an interview at nine in the morning. I guarantee you are not looking forward to this. I, this is, I had a TV interview on CNBC at uh, six. So, so oh. uh, I've been up for a while. So TV interview, like they were Skyping you type thing. No, I had to go to the, to the studio. Gee, wait. Okay. So you had a party, you're in Brooklyn. What time did that end? Was it no, like a no, rager? It wasn't like a, it was like a, a party for people in their thirties, not a party for people in their twenties. So uh, it ended, it, it ended at like 10 or 11. So what happens? So it was this, like a cocktail, cocktail thing at a book. Was this like a book launch party? I'm assuming. Yeah, but yeah, exactly. Okay. And so you're there, you're talking about the book and some people there. What's the point you're trying to sell it or celebrate? Is it mostly friends or is it like industry folks? How's this work? It was a lot of friends. They had a bookseller there, uh, but I think it was mostly just like, have a party, right? Yeah. Uh, I've been spending two years just like locked in my apartment, yeah. just writing. Yeah. So uh, I, I think I, you know, my friends are like, you should have a party yeah. to celebrate, you know? So uh, I think that was, that was more of it. Sorry. I was just really interested by that. But so the connectivity piece on going into Google also, here's the other thing. And I know that although the publisher came up with the book title, it is a theme in your book about kind of lying and whatnot. Is it really a lie if it's just the fact we don't feel everyone needs to know everything we think or they can't help us, right? So there are things that I think that I wonder that I question that no one in my fairly inner circle would have any relevant feedback on, or at least in my opinion. So it's like now I have access to call it 3 billion minds as opposed to 10. Yeah, I, th I, think, it, I think it's not as simple as Google is the truth. Uh, you know, I, some people have kind of been making this point. I think they're a little bit right that it's not as simple as Google is the truth and everything else is fake. Because like if you're smiling with your friends and you're, uh, you know, 
uh, all putting on a front and 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 kind of ha- playing this game where you're not being necessarily like uh, you know and, and playing this kind of social dance. Uh, you know, it's a little bit it's it's fake, but it's not. It is like a part of ourselves that we play that dance. Hmm. Uh, so it's not. It's it, it. There is some weird kind of truth in there, but I think uh, for me, I've always been interested in like uh, in the contrast between the things we see and the, what's kind of going on beyond behind the scenes. Uh, so that that's kind of why you know wh- whatever you call it, whether it's ah. uh, you know truth or uh, truth versus lies. I think there is definitely some of that. There are some examples where I think it's clearly you know just this the Google stuff is the truth, but I think it's also just a different part of our, ourselves a part of the psyche that we don't usually see and that uh, does reveal itself there. Yeah. And I have to admit when I was started reading your book, I get into it and instantly I was in agreement. I was kind of hooked because at least once a month for one reason or another, I'll, I'll notice my Google history, mostly on my phone, right? Cause it kind of pops up right in front of your face on your phone. And I'll be like, oh my God, I have to clear that history right now. <laughs> yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's, uh, I, this is complete honesty and not that anybody cares. It's nothing terrible. It's just weird, right? Like if somebody saw me Googling, I don't even know an example, but I'll I'll give you an example. Actually, Um, I tend to dread sickness. I'm one of those people, those WebMD people. Like I have shortness of breath. Am I dying of blank? You know what I mean? And if somebody got a hold of that, they'd be like, what is wrong with you in my opinion? You know? So it, I don't know if there's a person on this planet that, doesn't understand what you're going after here and what you're talking yeah, about. I think it's, yeah, I think everybody has their, uh, you know, their, their, their things on, on Google, whether it's a medical condition, either a paranoia or a legitimate medical condition or some sexual preference or some, uh, uh, yeah, or some, you know, anxiety or insecurity. Uh, I think everybody, I would guess it just the, just about everybody in society uh, has some Google searches that they wouldn't admit to other people. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so first let's talk about this. And I know everybody's wondering this. I'm sorry that it took me this long to get to it. But how do you gather this data? So most of it is from Google Trends. That Google Trends is like the public interface that they make available to researchers. Uh, there's better data there. Google also has this thing called Google AdWords, which is more complicated, less friendly, but gives better data. So like I've kind of been using that a lot more than Google trends, which is a little bit spotty. Uh, but yeah, the, 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 the people should be, can like learn to use this data. And, and one thing that I have to emphasize now that everyone's like, oh my God, is Seth reading my, uh, <laughs> my embarrassing search history? This is of course all anonymous and aggregate. So I'm just looking at what are people searching in a given city or a given state or, you know, at, at a given hour. Uh, but I don't know what any particular person is searching. So I'm fairly familiar with both, but only at a topical level. I, I'd like to learn a little bit more about how you get into some of the nitty gritty in both trends and AdWords. And to yeah. do so, I'm going to use an example that is pertinent to, I, I feel a lot of people, and we're going to talk about the the lying and the minutiae as well. But um, say you wanted to start a business. Google Trends and AdWords is, has been widely known as a great place to start to find out who to target, how to target, where to go. Could you walk us through, if you were to say, start a, a, I don't know, 
a, a small business, whatever it might be, a really niche product. Like, how would you use big data, Google, trends, all this to uh, determine your, say, marketing strategy? So what would be the, yeah, so, so, like, so what would be the, the, the product? The product? Okay. Here's, I'm looking at, uh, my wife bought me a little thing. It's called the money tree, right? It's like a real tree. It's, you know, so say you were selling a new cool, like, tree or, or plant or something. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Is that a bad example? You can give me a better one. It's just the first no, thing no, I that's saw. that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> so one thing I might do is I might do like, so just like a, 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 a new type of plant. Sure. Yeah. Okay. So, so I, I might look at say like searches for gardening and Google trends would have a topic on gardening. And then I maybe, uh, like you could actually follow this at home. If anyone's on Google's trends, you could see topic gardening and I'd click on the United States, assuming it's a U.S. business. Oh, hold on one sec. I'm going to follow along with you here. I've never done this okay. before. So okay. for those interested, and and this would work for anything. So, okay, yeah. you are in Google and you Google Google Trends. Yeah, Google Google Trends. Okay, so you go to Google Trends, pop it up. It's trends.google.com. Okay, so yeah. you have this blank screen and there's a Explore Topics. Is that where I would put it? Up in the top? Yeah. Type in gardening. Gardening. Topic. Okay. And it should come up down that there's a topic for gardening, right? Right. Yep, I'm here. So you click on topic. Oh, wait. Oh, so that, oh topic. I see. Yeah, yeah, instead of search term. Okay, cool. Topic. So, so the point of that is that if you if you, uh, if you you just put gardening, the, the term, mm -hmm. it would just give you the one word. It would just give you searches that include the word gardening. Mm-hmm. But you probably want more than that because you want people to search for garden or garden gardeners oh, or so vegetable or vegetable gardens or hoe or all these things. So, so that's cool. so so that's why gardening is the better one. Okay, great. So I see there's interest over time, interest by region, region. Yeah, so like first thing you see is there's a big seasonality to it, right? Yeah, Not yeah. surprisingly. Wow. So you see that it's higher in uh it, it seems to start like, like March. It peaks around March yeah. to April every year, March to May every year, right? You wow. see that? Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah, and then drops uh, around the holidays, December, people are busy with other stuff. Okay, what else would you gather from this? So, so right away, you kind of have, you have a pretty good sense of uh, when you want to target people, or you could even have a store that's just, if you look at actual, if you actually analyze the numbers, it's basically a quarter as popular in December as it is in uh, like the end of April. So sure. you definitely want to, uh, you know, it, 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 I'd even question whether you'd want a full, like a full year round store, maybe even do something else because there's such huge differences in demand. Mm -hmm. But then, uh, you know, you'd look at this then below that you'd see interest by sub region, right? Right. Oh, are you in the United States? Yeah. Well, I'm in, uh, how do I know that? Oh, it might say below the topic. It might oh, it say says worldwide. Mine says worldwide. Yeah. So should I, I should go to U.S. probably. Yeah, go to U.S. Okay. So I go to United States now. Okay. So now it's just U.S. Oh, subregion. Very cool. Yeah. So now you see the subregion and you see what states are into gardening and like number one is Vermont. Yep. Uh, right. Do you have, do you have Vermont? Sometimes, I do. Do you have Vermont as number one? Yep. Vermont, Montana, Maine, Washington, Idaho, Wyoming. Yeah. Alaska. <laughs> What's that? What's number one for you? Vermont. What's the highest for you? Vermont is 100. Vermont, right. Yeah. yeah. So one thing that I should point out is Google Trends works on us. But this is for the really technical people. But sure. Google Trends is a sample of data. 
and they take different samples and sometimes show people different samples. <sighs> so the numbers might be slightly different that people see. So don't freak out. Or like you might click tomorrow and all of a sudden instead of Vermont being number one, uh, Montana will be number one mm. and Vermont will be number two. But that's just kind of sampling. If you really need great data, you can average it a bunch of times. Okay, cool. All right. So you're starting to realize, okay, there's a seasonality. If I'm going to launch in a specific place, maybe that's the place. Yeah. And you kind of see like Vermont and Maine are really high. So maybe that would be. And then there are basically two regions in the United States that are really into gardening. There's kind of this uh, north, really northeast of Vermont and mm -hmm. Maine and New Hampshire. They're all in the top 10. And then there's the northwest of Montana, Idaho, Wyoming. They're all really high uh, in the top five. Sure. So there are basically two regions that seem to be more obsessed with gardening uh, than any other part of the country. So uh, you'd imagine that those would be really, really good places to uh, focus your business. And like there are big differences to the point that it's much lower. Uh, it's about only less than half uh, as high interest in the states in the in the places that are lower, like Mississippi or Illinois or Georgia. Sure. Okay. And so this all makes sense, and I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole, but it, to get an idea. So how would you have utilized Google Trends in some of the data? Because it seems fairly general, but I could see you type in something like porn, and you could say, hey, more people search for porn when it's cold in, in the north. But aside from that, how do you continue to drill down uh, as you did in your book? Yeah, I think you, well, a lot of the book is like, so, so gardening's interesting, like if you want a gardening business, mm -hmm. uh, but it's probably not the most, uh, you yeah. know, it, it, it is kind of cool that you kind of see these two regions. I didn't know that those were two parts of the country seem to be more interested in gardening than anybody else. Yeah. The seasonality, I probably would have guessed, but I maybe didn't realize it was that strong. And so it's, you know, so, you know, so there, there are some interesting findings, but I think a lot of the things that are really interesting uh, about Google are the, you know, more so sensitive topics like porn or. Uh, racism I do a lot on mm. and uh, r racist jokes and stuff or uh, uh, child abuse, abortion, self-induced abortion I've done a lot on. Wow. Uh, like you can actually see that uh, Google, just as they have a topic for for uh, gardening, they have a topic for self-induced uh, self induced abortion. I'm going to be honest. I don't, even in, want, I don't even want to search get, that. Uh, you know, you'll, you'll see that it's, it's ripped, that it rose in 2011 a lot. Uh, when abortion restrict restrictions started and you see that it's highest in places where it's really, really hard to get an abortion. Uh, so Pete, and you see the top, the top searches, they're like cause a miscarriage, how to cause a miscarriage, how to induce miscarriage, uh, coat hanger, vitamin C, oh uh, my all, God. all things like this. So that's one where instead of like just, uh, the gardening insights, you're like, Oh wow. Uh, basically I'm convinced that the United States now has a self-induced abortion crisis. Uh, just based on this Google search data. You know, um, we talked about this before I hit the record button, but one of the things you were surprised to hear about your book is kind of the the shock factor or almost the, I definitely don't want to call it disgust, but the just the difficulty in some of these things. And the topic you just picked is a brutal one. But to your point and to kind of what we were talking about, these not only can show you how anything, politicians or, or uh, laws change behavior, 
but also where it's happening, why it's happening. And that's what you're really saying is the insight we can draw. It doesn't have to be such, you know, disturbing topics, which really that one just kind of made me nauseous. But um, you know, sorry. no, that's OK. But you, you know what I'm saying? And and that's I, kind of also, the, so the thing we talked about in the book is that I'm kind of that before in our pre-interview is that I'm kind of desensitized to this. Right. Because I've been looking at it so long. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, so I, I was kind of surprised that some of the th- that people were disturbed because yeah, when I first did it, I'm like, Oh my God, like I was doing this stuff on racism and all the racist jokes people are searching for. And I'm just like, Oh man, like I, I didn't know people were doing that. And, and that, but now I've been looking at it so long that I am just totally desensitized, yeah. uh, kind of like a doctor who, uh, spends their entire day just telling people they're dying. Right. Like you just get deset, like, for for someone having to do that, it's like the most impossible thing to ever imagine doing. Yeah. Uh, but if you do it all day, every day, it's just like your job. Right. And I think uh, studying uh, some of these darker topics, it's just kind of been my job. Yeah, no. And, and you could tell. And, and that's a good one. Like it's uh, let me rephrase that. It's not a good one, but it's a, a unique way to show how this data can uncover insights that affect everything from policy to how we think about the world to where we need to dedicate time or resources or education. I want to, because one thing I do want to cover is some of the specifics in your book, but also how did you also use, and we don't have to go through the the web interface, but Google AdWords, um, how's that different from trends? And as you said, actually more insightful. They give you uh, more, they give, so Google Trends only gives you rates of searches, but with Google AdWords, you can get absolute search volumes. Uh, there are also just a couple. You can you can drill down into cities and towns in Google Trends. You can't really do that as much. Uh, and there are some other. It's a, it, there are some other reasons that it, it can be a better data source, but it's not as user friendly. I gotcha. Okay, so let's get to the real meat of the book. And and first of all, I appreciate the journey we've gone on, and I know others will. But I don't want it to kind of um, overshadow, you know, in your book, the information, and it is jam-packed. Like you read a few pages and you're learning about one topic and then the next few pages is another. And it's this great insight into the mind and the psyche. And I, I love it. So let's start with this. What was your favorite or at least most interesting discovery in all of this analysis you did? Uh, let me think. Uh, favorite. Oh, so this one, I uh, this this thing I'm I'm obsessed with, and I still want to research it uh, more. But uh, I'm convinced. So uh, most people in liberal circles, and I am kind of I I am I should disclose liberal. (laughs) That that there are two critiques I've gotten in my book so far, both of which I was not expecting. Uh, One is that uh, it's disturbing, and two is this guy's just so liberal, like. (laughs) <laughs> why do we need to take his stuff seriously? And I hadn't even thought in that way. Like yeah. I just thought I was, you know, presenting some interesting data studies, but, uh, that was a, that's a critique I've gotten a lot. So, uh, full disclosure, I am, a, I, I do lean a little bit, uh, to the left mm-hmm. uh, and I'm not like a fan of Trump, but, uh, you know, that's think, kind uh, of the lean of this, this show. I mean, like, I'm going to be honest and I don't want to lose any listeners because of it. I totally respect both sides, but just to let you know. Because I didn't think it was liberal because it's not necessarily the most politically correct book. Like, what, like I, th- I thought that, 
you know, like, like I, like, you know, because it, yeah, it goes into topics that, uh, we don't usually talk about. And I talk about the, you know, the sexual preferences of women, which are really politically incorrect. Wow. Uh, when, when you, if you actually read what, what they I, are, I have not uh, so gotten, it definitely, it definitely, uh, is not uh so so that's why i was surprised that everyone's just like like when i think like of a liberal book i think of a very politically correct book uh but but which this is not but uh that was a critique i'm gonna be honest i haven't gotten i haven't gotten to that part yet and now i'm gonna be searching through that <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> uh but uh so so i am uh so i kind of most of my friends are pretty liberal and everyone says how anxious they they were or have been about the trump phenomenon like when he was when when he was you know during the election when when it seemed like he might win and after the election like what's going to happen to society like I'm really really anxious and I looked at the data you know on anxiety and and pan, you know as you talk about panic attacks like I think when people have a panic attack they tend to Google it uh, you know if you if you wake up at three a.m. in a cold sweat I think you know you tell Google that mm -hmm. so I was just seeing how much you know Trump has increased anxiety and. I basically think he, he hasn't at all. Like if you look at these really uh, liberal communities, liberal parts of the country, there hasn't been a, a rise in anxiety during this whole Trump phenomenon, uh, you know, according to my read of the data. And I think that people like to say that. So I even think of in my own experience, like when I get anxious, it tends to be very, very selfish. I get anxious that my book isn't going to sell mm -hmm. or some health condition or like some relationship with a woman. Uh, it's really self-absorbed, I think, mm -hmm. uh, or, you know, some imagined legal problem that's usually just totally in my head. But like, I, I remember even during the Trump phenomenon, I did tell a couple of my friends like, man, I'm really worried about Trump. Uh, Cause I think it just sounds better to friends to say that because you sound like kind of a good person. Like I'm worried about the world, right? Ah. Uh, rather than bothering your friends with, you know, is my book going to sell? Like nobody really wants to hear that. Uh, so I just find that really interesting. Yeah. That, it, that like, cause, cause I think even if you look at surveys, people would just say they're really, really liberals would say they're really, really anxious about Trump. And I just think it's not really true. Yeah, no, that's a great point. And what the data can elicit there is interesting because I agree with you on specifically on anxiety. It's really a more me focus. And although I, it's different, right? You can, regardless of your political leans, you can say I'm anxious about Trump or I would have been anxious about Hillary, whatever. But it, it, I don't think it typically reaches that level of even a, a smaller but but more personal thing. So you're right. It's kind of like a, it's almost like a fake anxiety. It's like a game. You say, oh, I'm really anxious. But like then two seconds later, you just like watch TV. Uh, whereas if you're like anxious about a health problem, you're anxious about a health problem. Like mm -hmm. you're, you know, stuck in bed or you're sweating or you're, uh, you know, like that's, that's real anxiety. So I think, uh, I think that like Trump related anxiety or, or world world problem anxiety is a little bit of this fake game that people play. Interesting. So let's go into a couple other ones that I wanted to discuss. First, one of the things I found most interesting is how you utilize the data to discuss differences geographically speaking. So you would have a number of different kind of topics and almost to fill in the blank. And here's how that blank was filled in in different uh, countries. 
was there yeah. was there any general themes like did you find or do you feel like well this country is absorbed with how they look while this one's absorbed with how they live and this one by how they help others are there any kind of themes in in general you uncovered yeah so like i think health seems to be pretty universal so so you know i don't want to make a gen general statement but a lot of the health conditions people go through are very similar around the world hmm. uh you know through I, I talk about pregnancy the symptoms that women search around pregnancy and they seem to be pretty much the same everywhere around the world but then if you look at uh, like the questions people have about pregnancy or the concerns they have about pregnancy or the rumors that spread, those are just all over the place. Really? So I think that's a little bit of a, of a general theme where there's kind of this fixed biology. We're all kind of going through the same thing. Uh, we're all having the same, uh, you know, very similar experiences, is, but then uh, the culture can take it in just wild directions of, of like what, what particular concerns we focus on or what's, uh, you know, what's considered uh you know, a big problem or what isn't a big problem. Uh, that that's kind of a, a big theme. And then the sex stuff, you definitely just see that's where things are all over the place. The degree to which, uh, countries can just seem to develop some weird, some, uh, I don't want to say weird, but some, uh, fetish. Hmm. Uh, and that's really interesting. Why, why can a country develop a widespread fetish? Yeah, that is unique. One thing I think, your book also uncovers is, is gender differences in general. So the one that I kind of found pretty shocking was how parents really search about their kids being, being a, a fairly new dad of a son. Uh, and we talk about, okay, if we have more kids and the next one's a daughter, great, you know, it'd be nice to have both. And then your book made me think, oh my gosh, I hope at my core, I really would view them as equal. And your book made me kind of worry about that. Yeah. So that's the idea. The searches that start is my son. This is with Google AdWords. The searches that start is my son versus is my daughter. That uh, parents are more likely to use when the, to use words like genius or gifted when they say is my son, and when they ask questions about their daughter, they're more likely to say things like overweight or just focus on her appearance. How can I get my daughter to lose weight? Uh, wow. So I think parents like to think that they treat their sons and daughters equally, but I think. Uh, you know, they tend to be more excited by their intellectual, the intellectual potential of their sons and more concerned about the appearance of their daughters. Though I hope that as more people read this, uh, they'll change that because I think parents don't want to do that. They might not be aware of these biases. Uh, and as we shed light on them, we can maybe hopefully change them. Yeah. And that was one of the things, actually, your book initially and maybe I'm a little bit jaded, right? We do a lot of interviews, but not only that, for every interview, there's five topics that get sent to us. And eventually it's like, okay, I understand it, but like, why, what's the purpose other than entertainment, which entertainment is great. But then once I kind of started looking at some of these more in depth, it was like, well, hopefully it will illuminate um, things we didn't know we were doing, things we didn't know we felt or the biases we had or we don't understand global uh, trends or, th you know, all these things, this one specifically, and maybe you go, wow, I need to uh, be cognizant of that. Yeah, definitely. I think there's just huge value in knowing uh, the truth about things. Uh, I talked about another example, sexual education, uh, how sex ed can incorporate some of this. We, we've kind of been flying blind in sex ed about what, 
you know, people are really concerned about and what people are really worried about. And I think some of the Google search data has already changed, uh, you know, what we know about uh, some of the paranoias that uh, teenagers have uh, around sex and things that they might uh, want. They, they definitely should be told. I've, I've talked to a lot of people in sex ed about incorporating some of this data into their uh, curriculum. It is. It's fascinating information. I think your book unveils, really pulls back the curtain about new ways to look at what our data and what our searches can tell us about who we are and really hopefully be used in a manner to maybe steer our thoughts and actions in the way we want them to. But not saying that was the point. It's really uncovering it and discovering it is the first step. So Seth, first of all, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for the great conversation. The book is Everybody Lies, Big Data, New Data, and What the Internet Can Tell Us About Who We Really Are. Where would you like people to go? What action do you want them to take? To buy it on Amazon? Go to your blog? Tell us what you want. <laughs> uh, yeah, but go buy it on Amazon if they're yeah, buy it on Amazon and uh if they yeah, I yeah, I guess that would be best at buy at, or a bookstore or I don't I don't I don't know. I don't know what's best for uh if 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 they now want to help me avoid working a real job my entire <laughs> life, I don't know what the best way is to uh, improve the rankings on this book. I'm not totally sure. Come on, you're that, a data but, uh, scientist. You know, I, I just yeah. If, if they if they're interested, definitely uh, hope they pick it up. Uh, I don't really care where. <laughs> well, we'll help you out with that. We'll put a link on smartpeoplepodcast.com and it'll go straight to your book as well as in the post. So Seth, I know okay. you're busy. You have a number of interviews. Go ahead and, and get your coffee before the next one. And uh, just thank you again so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Chris. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Seth Stevens Davidovitz. Seth's book, Everybody Lies, Big Data, New Data, and What the Internet Can Tell Us About Who We Really Are is available on Amazon and at your local bookstore. As always, if you're purchasing on Amazon, please use the Smart People Podcast Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com slash Amazon. This will send you over to Amazon and you just do your shopping as you normally would at no extra cost to you, and we get a nice little kickback that helps support the show. If you're looking for other free and easy ways to support the show, you can always head over to iTunes and rate and review the show over there. If you want to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or send us a message on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. If you're looking to stay up on all things Smart People Podcast, you can always head over to the website smartpeoplepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter over there. All right, that's it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. We're looking forward to the next. We've got a lot of great interviews coming up. So we will see you all next episode.